morning. Whether you are here with us or you are joining us online, I'm Reverend Nicole Riley, lead and teaching pastor here, and want to welcome you to worship. If you'd like to follow along on our church app, there are sermon notes for you. King David was probably the most charismatic king in Israel. It's reported he was good-looking, he was musically talented, and he was strong. The scripture refers to him as a man after God's own heart. Maybe this is why, as a young boy, he stepped up and stepped in to kill the giant Goliath. He showed up with a slingshot and five smooth stones, and nobody thought he would win, but he did, and so did God. David took aim, and the rest is biblical history. Now, this was not the only giant that David would face in his life, but this was probably the most obvious of the giants that he would face. Many of the other things David dealt with in his life, the giants he dealt with were more subtle, more insidious, and sometimes even more dangerous. Today we continue our series called Facing Life's Giants, and we are looking at the giants in our own life. They do not look like David's giants. They do not look like a giant Goliath, but I think they are giants for us nonetheless. They are things that we struggle with in our own life. And last week we talked about failure, and today we're going to talk about the giant of temptation. So I want you to think about what is it that tempts you? What is it that you are tempted by in this life? A recent article listed the top five temptations that Americans would at least confess to, right? It's a little different what we confess to as our temptation than what actually is our temptation. But Americans reported their top five temptations were, number one, worry. Number two, procrastination. Number three, overeating and overdrinking. Number four, the overuse of social media. And number five, laziness. We all have temptations. To be a person, to be a human being, is to be tempted by various things throughout our life. Uh, One of my very favorite stories about temptation has to do with marshmallows. This is a story about children who were brought into a room by a researcher and told they could have one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. The big idea was that if they could wait and have those two marshmallows later, that they would be showing the researchers that they had this skill of patience They had this ability to wait, and that that was an important life skill, not just for children, but for us all. 
In Luke 17, Jesus says, temptations are sure to come. And I think we can totally agree with that. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the important question, does God tempt us? And then we're going to talk a bit about temptation itself. And then finally, we're going to end with looking at what are the things that you and I can do to deal with life's temptations. We're going to start, though, with the foundational issue, does God tempt us? In other words, does God put people in situations where they are tempted so that he might see how we would handle it? Some people would say yes, that God tempts us. This is their understanding of God, and they would say that God uses temptations to grow us and to mature us. And they might even point to the Lord's Prayer, where it says, lead us not into temptation as biblical proof that God does tempt us. But I would disagree. And I guess so would Pope Francis as well. Did you know that in 2017, Pope Francis tried to update the Lord's Prayer? He said this. He said, it is not a good translation because it speaks of a God who induces temptation. I am the one who falls. It's not God pushing me into temptation to then see how I have fallen. A father doesn't do that. A father helps you to get up immediately. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. I would say that my own understanding is similar. I hear the lines, lead us not into temptation, as requesting that God would move our path, that God would keep us from what tempts us in this life. It's similar to the petition to keep us from evil or to give us our daily bread. I do not think it is in God's nature to tempt us. So let's hear today's scripture where we hear this more clearly. This is a helpful text from James. This is James 1, 12 through 16. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test, and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desires, being lured and enticed by it. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God does not need to tempt us because we take care of that ourselves in this life. We put ourselves in situations where we are tempted. But God works to provide a way out for all of us. God does provide a way out when we are in the midst of seasons of temptation in our life. But I think that there are many times when we 
don't take what God has to offer us. Let me tell you a story, since we're talking about King David today, from King David's life. It's found in 2 Samuel. And I'll tell you a little bit of the story, and then we'll look at the scripture around it too. And I want you to just think about and be curious about what was it in David that made it so he gave in to temptation, and temptation in numerous ways. So King David, his troops were at war, and they were fighting different enemies of Israel. Now, David wasn't there. Um, His troops were off fighting on his behest. He remained at home. One night, he saw a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba, and she was the wife of one of his trusted soldiers, the soldier Uriah. And because Uriah was away, David took advantage of the situation, and he slept with her. Bathsheba became pregnant, and King David realized that what he had done would be found out. And so he came up with a plan. He brought the soldier, Uriah, home and told him that he could go and spend some time with his wife, hoping that their reunion would fool Uriah into thinking that the child was his. But Uriah didn't go spend time with his wife because he stayed with the other soldiers. He didn't think it was fair that he have time with his wife when they were all waiting to go back into battle. So David tried a second thing. This time, he got Uriah drunk and hoped that that would lower his barriers, and so then he would go home and be with his wife. But Uriah, once again, did not. Let's pick up the text in verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, so that he may be struck down and die. As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David along among the people fell, and Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. So David sends Uriah into harm's way, knowing that this would at least keep his secret in some way. Why did David do these things? Why did he not resist the first temptation, the second temptation, all the temptations that are present in this story? I I think that The story talks to us about something we all deal with when we face temptations in life. David certainly did, and it's that the fact that sometimes we are arrogant. Sometimes we have pride, and we don't think that these temptations are problems for us. For us, it can look like we're in the midst of a struggle, and we say, ah, it's not really a big deal. It's not really a problem, or... I can handle it, or I can get out of this. How many times do we find ourselves as people compromised by temptation because we didn't think the temptation would be a problem 
till it was too late. I think of myself and the season we just came through and all the sweets that came into my house. Every year I have a conversation with myself that it's not a problem and I can eat just a little. Is that ever true? No, that is never true. Last night, a good friend of mine gave us some fudge, and Jeff and I had like five pizzas each, and then I was so wired I could hardly fall asleep, all that sugar. On a more serious level, I think of a friend who was struggling with alcohol, and he said, you know, I I can stop after one drink. But he couldn't one day, and he got pulled over for a DUI. Or another really good friend of mine, who he and his wife were living apart for a couple years, and I said to him, that doesn't sound great. I mean, that sounds like that's going to be really tough on your marriage. And he said, I don't think it's a problem. They ended up getting divorced. Too many times we fall into temptation because we don't recognize the possibility of temptation. We have a spirit of pride and and arrogance, and we think this doesn't apply to us. We think more highly of ourselves than we should. So this is the first thing that stops us from seeing the way out that God offers. Our own pride, our own arrogance. It's a struggle for all of us. Maybe these words are very strong, right? Pride and arrogance. Maybe you would say it's something different. Maybe you would say it's uh, fooling yourself or not taking things seriously. But whatever it is, a lot of times the first thing that stops us from seeing the way out God offers is our own character and the mistakes we make there. Second, I find that our ease with excuses stops, for, stops us from seeing the way out. Are you good with excuses in times of temptation? I am an Olympic athlete at excuses. I have the best excuses there are. See if you use these as well. I was tired. Don't I deserve to have some fun? There are just some things that are too strong to resist. I earned it. No one will know. It's not my fault. And one more time, it won't really matter. Excuses stop us from dealing with our own temptations. They stop us from taking a stand in our life, and from giving ourselves a pass that may lead us to feel that our life is just falling apart around us because we don't stand up in the midst of life's very real temptations. In 1 Samuel seventeen forty, the text says, David took his staff from his hand and he chose for himself Five smooth stones from the brook. So what five smooth stones 
might we use to deal with our own temptations? You know, in in David's case, he picked up five. He only used one to slay the giant Goliath. But I imagine for most of us, we need more rocks than just one. So what are the five things you and I might do so that we would be more often victorious in the midst of temptation? First, I want to call you to realize you are not alone. You know, a lot of times when we face temptation, we feel that it's unique or unusual for people to struggle. We may even feel embarrassed about it in the midst of it. Jesus knew our temptations. He knew the burdens that you and I carry. No temptations are ours alone. God is with us in the midst of it, and we are called to reach out to others in the midst of our temptations, to find those people we can be honest with in our life, and to tell them honestly what's going on and where we're struggling. Temptations are often a fork in the road, right? They're a fork in the road, and we need to get help from God and from others so that we might choose the right direction. 1 Corinthians puts it this way. It says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. Number two, recognize any pride and arrogance and address these character issues. You know, we are really great at fooling ourselves in this life. We're super good at it. We are called to recognize these flaws in our own life and how we are dealing with things. Don't let your pride and your arrogance, or maybe you're not wanting to look at it, your denial of the situation getting the better of you. I think if we are honest about the fact that we all will struggle at times with temptation, we would be more willing to put things in our life like rest and downtime and self-care, which help us take care of ourselves so that as we face temptations, we can do so in a better way. So we are called to recognize anything that stops us character-wise from dealing with temptation. Number three, Run away. When you are in the midst of struggles with temptation, there is nothing wrong with picking up your stuff and running away. Mark Twain said, There are several good protections against against temptation, but the surest is cowardice. A lot of times we think that we should stand there and fight in the middle of our temptations when in fact, that's going to take a lot more out of us than turning around and leaving. We think of it as a funny thing to run away, but it is actually a good tool. If any of you are fans of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's a famous scene in that movie where they go after this rabbit that looks just like a little rabbit, but it turns out it's a killer rabbit. And when they all notice what this is, they all yell, run away. Because it's not a temptation, it's not a difficulty 
that they can win over. Number four, don't rely on your own willpower. You know, we often think that our own willpower in the midst of temptations will be enough for us. But in the book, Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard, Chip and Dan Heath share the story of a group of college students. Half were invited to eat cookies, chocolate chip, and half were invited to eat radishes. There was no cheating, and the college students that were assigned the radishes did eat them, even though they had access to the chocolate chip cookies, and of course, those who had access to chocolate chip cookies ate them instead of the radishes. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The researchers at the end of this little study thanked everybody and said, you know, um, you've participated in this study today around cookies and radishes. We have a, another study. It's not related, but I didn't know if you'd all want to help with that too. And the topic of the other study was, were college students smarter than high school students? So all of these college students, of course, wanted to participate and prove how smart they were. And so what the researchers did was they gave them all a series of impossible puzzles to solve. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Those who ate the chocolate chip cookies, they tried way more puzzles. They worked at things way longer than those who ate the radishes. Because the radish eaters, they had already used their willpower by not eating the chocolate chip cookies. And when they got to the puzzles, they were tired of exerting their willpower. Willpower fatigues quickly. We have to be aware of that for our lives. And number five, be filled with God's spirit. This is one of the most important things about temptation. And I think so many times when you and I are in the middle of a season of temptation in our life, um, we try to rely on ourselves and we forget that we have God's spirit who can help us. In Jude chapter 1, it says these words, But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on some who were wavering to the only God, our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. When we reach the end of our willpower, when we reach the end of our strength, we can turn to God. In fact, we should do it before we reach the end of our willpower and strength. And many times we falter in life with our temptations, not because the temptations are too big, but because we rely on God too little. So it's a new year. And what will you do in this year to be more filled with God's spirit in your life? Will you 
have more of a practice of prayer or reading the scriptures or attending worship, participating in worship, or, or giving or serving? What will you do so that you might take those steps to be more filled with God's spirit yourself? We need to do these things and then trust that God will do the rest. So these are our five smooth stones that we can use. We can realize we're not alone. We can recognize any pride or arrogance. We can run away. We can not rely on our own willpower, and we can be filled with God's Spirit. These are good tools for all of us in the midst of temptation. So I don't know today, when you came in, and when we talked at the beginning of the sermon about what are your temptations, I don't know what those are. You know, we all have our own temptations in this life. Some of us are tempted to, you know, be angry and in the middle of fights in our family, and some of us are tempted to ignore it all and just pretend nothing's going on. All of us, though, in the midst of our temptations know that temptations, temptations are real. And that our life is going to be filled with times when we are tempted. And sometimes we will be victorious. And sometimes our temptations will get the better of us. But what I want you to know is that today there is hope for you, regardless of your history with temptations in your life. There is hope for you in the midst of whatever you are now facing as a temptation because you are God's. You are beloved. You matter. And God is with you. So, pick up your slingshot and take aim at your giant. Let's take some time as we pray to first have a couple moments of silence to think about the temptations we're struggling with in our own life whether they're big or small, and just offer them to God, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let us join together in a moment of reflection.